What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and Tiff is joining me today to talk about the incredible, classic, groundbreaking, wonderful, amazing album, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And if you don't know this album, once again, your parents failed you, someone in the world failed you, and you need to go and rectify this situation instantly. I mean, you can do it just by going to Spotify. So everyone should know this album, and I'm surprised if you don't, but if you don't, please, please, please go listen to it now, and listen to Marvin Gaye anyway, but please check out this album. So what's going on, I'm just going to give you a little brief, brief description for the album and some brief little facts here, and then Tiff and I are just going to talk about um, the impact of the album, like our first reactions to ever listening to the album and then we are going to name our favorite song if we have one because it's hard to do that I think on albums like this especially when each song really just leads into the other song it's harder I think to do that but we can all have ones that we like better than the others but what's going on is the 11th studio album by singer Marvin Gaye it was released on May 21st 1971 by the Motown Records subsidiary label Tamla, Tamla, recorded between 1970 and 1971 in sessions at Hitsville, USA, Golden World, and United Sound Studios in Detroit, and at the Sound Factory in West Hollywood, California, it was Gay's first album to credit him as a producer and to credit Motown's in-house studio band, the session, the session musicians known as the Funk Brothers. What's going on is a concept album with most of its songs segueing into the next and has been categorized as a song cycle. The narrative established by the songs is told from the point of view of a Vietnam veteran returning to his home country to witness hatred, suffering, and injustice. Gay's introspective lyrics explore themes of drug abuse, poverty, and the Vietnam War. He has also been credited with promoting awareness of ecological issues before the public outcry over them had become prominent, specifically in Mercy, Mercy Me. What's Going On stayed on the Billboard Top LPs for over a year and became Gay's second number one album on Billboard's Soul LPs chart, where it stayed for nine weeks. The title track, which had been released in January 1971 as the album's lead single, hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and held the top position on Billboard's Soul Singles chart five weeks running. The follow-up singles, Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology, and Inner City Blues, Make Me Wanna Holler, also reached the top 10 of the Hot 100, making Gay the first male solo artist to place three top 10 singles 
on the Hot 100 from one album. The album was an immediate commercial and critical success and came to be viewed by music historians as a classic of 1970s soul. Broad-ranging surveys of critics, musicians, and the general public have shown that's what going on, what's, excuse me, that's what's going on is regarded as one of the greatest albums of all time and a landmark recording in popular music. In 1985, writers on British Music Weekly, the NME, voted it the best album of all time. And in 2020, it was ranked number one on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. So, yes, as you can see, this is a very, very important album. And once again, it plays into what I say all the time about music. And so when people get upset about at musicians for being political, I'm like, have you never listened to music in your life? Music, I think, says more about society, politics, people can make more change, I think, than a lot of other art forms do. And I think this album is a big, big example of that. And you will notice in the episodes we are going to be doing for the rest of this month, those all the artists recovering in some way or another did that, used their music for change. And this album definitely did that. And so before, well, actually, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to list all of the tracks on here. There are nine tracks on here, but I do want to say that in 2022, there were there was an additional CD released with two bonus tracks. So there was a different version of God is Love, and then there was also Sad Tomorrow. So I just want to make sure um, that people know that as well. So you can also look for those bonus tracks. If you go on Spotify, it's just the original the nine. And of course, I'm just going to do this as they would do on the record. So side one had what's going on, led into what's happening, brother, then flying high in the friendly sky, save the children, God is love. And then side one ended with mercy, mercy me. Side two had right on and then holy, holy. And once again, holy, W-H-O-L-Y, and then Holy, H-O-L-Y, and then ended with Inner City Blues and Make Me Want to Holler. So I wanted to just give the track listing there, and I want to ask you, Tiff, so uh, what was your first introduction to this album? So my parents have, my father in particular, has a huge, huge collection of albums. And when I say albums, like records, actual LPs, um, I want to say he still has them and he probably has close to about maybe 5,000 records. Uh, he has them in a, in a closet and it's like with an old school stereo, you know, that has the, <laughs> that has a record player yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure everybody that grew up in like the seventies and eighties will recognize it. The one with the glass case where it <laughs> drops down and you have the tape deck yes. with the two sides and things like that. So I think that was probably in every, you know, Gen Xer and uh, millennial, elder millennials <laughs> living room, their parents had one uh, and mine were, you know, were no different than that. So his, my parents' taste in music ran the gamut from like, my dad was a big jazz aficionado and my mother loved soul, Motown and all of that kind of stuff. And my dad did too. So um, they kind of meshed when they got married and 
one of those albums, of course, that was played a lot was Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. I can I don't have a clear conscious of when I first heard it. I know I was young. I know I was like, a, you know, a little, little, little person when I first heard it, because as a child, I'm singing the songs I'm singing, you know, and I know the lyrics I'm singing it along and you know, it's it's just an unconscious thing. So I can't really say, oh yeah, I was like 10 when I heard it. No, 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 no. I was probably listening to it in utero. And <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> absorbed into my, into my bloodstream. So like my cousin, I had an actual concept of what music was. Like, you know, when you're three or four years old, I just knew the lyrics and I'm just spitting them out, spitting them out. So this is a, this is a an album that is that is very close to my heart. I love this album from start to finish. It's one of those things where you know somebody is not just talented, they actually are gifted. And Marvin Gaye was an exceptionally gifted artist, not just a singer, he was an artist. Uh, and I think that there's a, there's, you know, you have to differentiate the two. Some people, this is present day singers, they're just singers, but Marvin Gaye was an actual artist. He knew how to um, paint a picture with words, and that's what this—that's what this album is all about. So, it's—it's it's in my bloodstream. It's in, yeah, it's—it's it's in me. So, I love it. It's—it's it's very close. One of my one of my probably my top five albums. Yeah, I, I you know, very similar to Tiff in the fact that I grew up with um, both my parents were big into music when I, I mean, my dad came into my life later when I was five, but my dad was in Vietnam and my dad was a Vietnam vet. And so my dad would play a lot of music for me that had to do with that because Vietnam vets and everyone I've ever known that has a Vietnam vet, it's such a big, huge part of their DNA and who they are. And, you know, he would play, you know, my, my dad had like, in his room, he had his, all his walls were just wall to wall music. And he had everything from, you know, tons of albums, tons of albums. And I really want a record player, by the way. And tons of, there's just something about records that are just, it's just more special. I don't know. There's something about that sound and hearing the needle and everything like that. But he had that and he had reel to reels and then CDs and then tapes and just everything you can imagine. And every, Every, almost every genre of music. So he like introduced me to people like, you know, like Philip Glass and then like Roxy Music and then like Gil Scott Heron and then Marvin Gaye. And so it was like this huge wide array. And then like even like, you know, some other like 80s punk bands and stuff like that. So it was like such a huge eclectic, eclectic taste that I really think is part of the reason I have such an eclectic taste in music. And so I really appreciate and love that I got that from my dad. And I also did for my mom too. My mom was big into music and my mom, you know, she lived like in San Francisco in like the late sixties, early seventies and was really, really very much a hippie. So, you know, so I, I heard a lot of stories and heard a lot about um, Vietnam from my dad more than anything. And, you know, and, my dad, I know my mom played this album too, but my dad was the one who really introduced me to it because of that, because 
of him saying, well, this is one of those that actually speaks to that. Like he would be the one who would say, this is a correct movie about Vietnam. This isn't, this is a correct album about Vietnam. This isn't, this is a correct album about what it was really like back then. This isn't. And so that is, that is who I heard it from. I'm sure my mom played it too, though, because we, when I was growing up, for the first few years, we didn't really have TV. We had a TV that didn't have, didn't like the picture didn't come in and you could hear PBS and that was it. And then it got stolen. And so, that was so we just listened to music all the time. <laughs> I bet, I bet those robbers got a, got a very, very big surprise when they tried to turn that bad boy on. <laughs> I know. I always think that I'm like, they must've been like, oh my gosh, nothing up. this TV doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So for me, this album and this music, it makes me think of my childhood, you know, and yes, this, this album came out before I was born, but not too long before I was born, but it did come out before I was born. But it makes me think of that just because I know I grew up listening to this, which I will always, always appreciate is that love of music. And I think what Marvin Gaye does, and I, I love that you said Marvin Gaye is an artist, not just a singer. And I think that there is a distinction there because I think sometimes people can be singers, but sometimes they're just singing and there isn't like that, um, that, that craft to it, that artistry to it of like Marvin Gaye really was using his music to say something in a way that was very powerful and very, um, like, his whole heart was in it and every lyric had a purpose. Every word had a purpose. Every note had a purpose. Every, those segues on this album had a purpose. It wasn't like he just went, oh, that sounds good together. There was a reason that certain songs went after the other songs. And the whole album has this underlying, um, there's sorrow to it. But there's also like this part of it of like, ah, uh, I just, there's got to be something we can do to try and make things better. Because this was a time in the country when there were a lot of different, you know, movements. There was the civil rights movement. There was people were protesting the war, you know, feminism, all of that. And so you can see that under, you can hear that underlying note there of sorrow and grief but also, like, maybe there's got to be a way, and I'm not just trying to quote the songs here, but there's got to be a way to find a way out of that and to heal from that trauma and that sorrow and that grief and to find a solution to that. And also to be talking about things that people weren't necessarily talking about. Like, of course, like a lot of, you know, talking about the environment and what we're doing with the environment. And linking that to the fact that every other issue that we have is linked together. Like all of those problems are in are linked together. And if you help to try to solve one problem and work to stop a war, work for um, equal rights for everybody, that kind of thing. If you're doing that, that is they're all everything's interconnected. So if you're working on that, then you're helping to solve other problems. And I don't think people realize that. I think people think one cause is separate than the other cause, but it's all part of a master thing. And so I think 
that makes sense. I think Marvin Gaye was expressing that as well, that all of these things are interconnected together and they're all part of a bigger disease in a way. And trying to find some healing of that and trying to find some healing in the country. It was a very, very, very painful time in the country during that that time. It just was. There was so much death and so much strife. And the way this country treated and continues to treat uh, people in the Vietnam War was atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And that's a lot of what this album is talking about. Sadly, I don't think that got better at all, (laughs) you know, and a lot of those people were drafted and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like people readily signed up. People were drafted and people, they'd have those broadcasting of, you know, picking your number out and being called in. And that's, imagine that you have to watch on, you know, here, am I going to be called up to die is basically what you're waiting to hear. And then having to be called up to you end up killing people at the same time too. So, you know, to where you're going and you're standing in front of a wall, you know, the memorial, and you're picking out the names of the people you knew that died. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And so there's so much in this. And I think the as much as the lyrics are important, so is the music too. So hopefully all of that word salad made perfect sense. <laughs> I feel like I just did. It did. Words. It did. This is an album that does that, though. This is an album that yeah. that makes you dig deep, that makes you, like you were talking about, because it is interconnecting themes and concepts that Marvin was seeing on an intrinsic level, on an organic level. This is a man who had Vietnam hit extremely close to home. His brother, Frankie, went was in Vietnam. And, you know, thankfully got out and, you know, and made it home alive. But this is how, this is what caused Marvin to like level up. And I think that's what you see in the evolution of his music. He levels up in what's going on. There is a, you know, there's a trajectory usually that, that artists hit where it's steady, steady, steady. Marvin jumped like eight levels with what's going on from where he was previously. And he told, this is a quote um, from Frankie Gay's autobiography called My Brother My Brother Marvin. He wrote that in 03. He said um, they were recalling his time in Vietnam and it made both brothers cry. And afterwards, Marvin told Frankie, quote, I didn't know how to fight before, but now I think I do. I just have to do it my way. I'm not a painter. I'm not a poet, but I can do it with music. End quote. And I think, I mean, if that doesn't, that speaks volumes. You do what you can do with what you can work with. It's like, I, I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to, I can't sing or anything like that, but I can throw out my opinions on my friend's podcast and <laughs> and I can analyze things because she's nice enough to let me come on <laughs> and have a good time. And, you know, we can hopefully bring some joy to other people in this time of a lot of times, you know, this is a, this is still a divisive time. Uh, this is still an, a really insecure time for a lot of people. We, 
you know, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of depression and things like that. So if you can bring some joy, if I could spark joy in people's lives, just, you know, by throwing out some jokes and talking and, you know, getting into some discussions, like I said, with my friends who let me come on their podcast, that's one way of doing things. And that's the way I think that's how Marvin looked at it. Like, I'm an artist. This is how I can make my art accessible to everybody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, – and we love having you on our podcast, Tiff. I love having you on. I, we, you haven't been on in a while, so I love having you back on. So, yeah, I, I think that that totally is what it is. It's like – I mean, because this album even this – this album talks about – Drug use talks about hair, you know, heroin use. It talks about lots of things, and it does it in a way where um, I, I, sometimes I hesitate to use the word approachable because that makes it sound like you shouldn't be talking about this. But it, in a way, but in a way where it is, it is um, accessible for people. People can listen to it, and you might first listen to the songs. I know when I was young, and I'm first listening to these songs. When I was really young, I didn't understand a lot of what was being said and talked about. Uh, and then as I got older and really, really, really sat down to really listen to the lyrics and hear the music that went along with the lyrics and then dug, dove deeper into it, it is something where it is, you know, music when it is at its most powerful and songs when they're at their most powerful, it is like someone opened themselves up and became so incredibly vulnerable in order to share with the world that vulnerability and what they learned and and for him to share what he learned especially for having a brother that went to Vietnam and dealing with that and all of that pain in there and having to you know I mean I cannot imagine the PTSD that comes from that when you have to deal with that, when you have to deal with war. And so almost like doing this as a way for not only the world to heal in some way or to be like, hey, we've got to do something about this, but also as a way to kind of help with his healing process and his brother's healing process uh, in a way too, because even though these songs are talking about stuff that, you know, requires action and wanting to make change and we need to change the world. And we, I mean, you know, look at this, he's singing songs about the environment. What have we really done about that? That's why it's important to listen to it now. We still haven't done anything about that. And it's important to still listen to it, to still go back and hear those lyrics and be like, hey, if this person can use their voice and do this, I can use my voice, I can use whatever power I have in order to try and change the world in some way. And that's why I always think when people have any kind of platform that they can use to speak in any kind of way about this stuff, like 
what I hope that we can do on this podcast is to bring awareness to things, to talk about things, to give a platform for my panelists to talk about things they might not otherwise get a chance to. Because I think that's important because someone might hear it and go, oh, a light bulb moment, you know, or not feel so alone. And I can only imagine for his brother what it must have been like. And I haven't read that book. I should read that book. But what it must have been like to have a brother who did this as a this is almost like a a gift in a way. I, I don't know if you see that, Tiff, but it feels like to me it's almost like a gift to his brother and his brother's pain in a way too. I definitely see an homage to, yeah, uh, you know, and it's not a celebration isn't the right word. An homage doesn't necessarily have to mean celebration, but it's it's somebody that is taking on and seeing somebody for who they are and seeing the pain and seeing the devastation that comes along with coming home from war. Like you said, PTSD, you know, I mean, they weren't even diagnosing PTSD at that point in time. Were they even using words PTSD? I think no. they were probably still using the words like shell shock um, at that point. Yeah. PTSD wasn't, you know, anxiety, social anxiety, um, depression, although they might have had the words for depression. Did they understand it necessarily? Not always. You know, it wasn't. It's like, OK, here, take a volume and go home. Well, that's. That's why you saw so many vets, especially from that war, coming back and self-medicating because they were not being given the proper tools to help them with the anxiety, with the depression, with the PTSD that they were dealing with afterwards, after serving. It's like you, you don't come home and be the same person. You just don't. There's no way. And we can't know what that's like being looking on the outside in. And I think Marvin... Yay was shining a light on that and showing people are hurting and we're not doing what we need to do on a basic level, a basic human level and recognizing people's humanity in this. And it is, like you said, it's a gift. It is, it's a gift to, and it's a, a shining attention and a spotlight on people that went through this you know and it's not just we're not just talking about soldiers what about like nurses what about yeah. journalists you know the medics who had to who went through the same thing who went through combat it is you know this affected people on an entire on a huge scale on a huge huge scale and i think this is what this album really lays into and it is you know it was definitely an homage to frankie but an homage to, you know, everybody that came home and everybody that didn't come home. That's, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing as well. Like a lot of folks did not come home a lot. Yeah. And also I think too, and the, the lasting impact of it is that not just the, the people that were there or during that time, there is a lasting generational impact from war. It's a generational thing that affects the country like Vietnam. It's affected Vietnam. It's affected Vietnam soldiers going forward. It's affected their children. I'm speaking from experience. You know, I know, I personally know, you know, when I think about it logically, the reason I don't have my dad in my life 
is because of Vietnam. I really honestly believe that is the huge reason why my dad was in and out of my life and then hasn't been in my life for years because of that, because of not dealing with that and not dealing with the trauma of that. And that's not necessarily, I'm not using that as an excuse or anything like that, or, you know, saying, what was me? I'm just saying, I think that's really what happens when you have wars going on, when you have generational trauma, when you have lots of like, you know, it's, it's also the generational trauma that goes on with, with poverty that goes on with addiction um, you know, also environmental trauma, that too. And that can seep generation after generation after generation. So an album like this, even though it was made during a specific time about a specific time period, is very relevant today. It's not like this is not relevant today. This stuff still has relevance. It still has an impact. And you can still listen to this. I can. As an adult, I listen to it on a very different level, like uh, kind of like a grieving level in a very different way than I did when I was a child. Because like I said before, I didn't understand all of it, honestly. And I think when you become an adult, you see things in a very different way and you see um, trauma in a different way. You can see it in a different way. But yeah, I think people, I think some people forget that with Vietnam and that whole time when people came back, there were there were even people that treated vets horribly that weren't like like people that were supposedly protesting the war. There were people who were protesting the war who would also treat Vietnam vets who came back horribly as well. You know, that did happen. I, and so it's like, you know, and then you have the government tr- not treating them well. And then you have the, you know, and so then that leads to addiction which then in turn can harm the other people around them and can harm them and then can lead it's a domino effect. So once again, this is not just talking about one thing or one problem. It's talking about the other issues that come from that one problem, if that makes sense too. But yeah, I think it's just, it's an album that I think is relevant now as relevant now as it was when it first came out. And, you know, we have so much strife still in this country, and there are still so many things that we haven't even begun to even really grapple with or really be honest about in this country. That's the other thing. We are not honest about a lot of things in this country. We like to, you know, put, the way we like to look at it is we like to put things in black and white pictures So then that way we can say that's the past and that has nothing to do with the present. And it's easier that way to kind of just forget about it. We don't want to know our history. We would rather know the America number one, we're number one, United States, excuse me, is number one. We're the best. We're the best. We're the best. We don't want to hear anything that in any way disparages that. And that's where music and voices of artists. I think art in general is one of the most powerful tools that can be used as a voice for the voiceless. Art is the way to do that. And I think this album is a work of art. And so it is one of those examples where all of these songs, you know, all of them, not just what's going on and Mercy, Mercy Me, the ones that everybody knows and you've heard a billion times. And I'm not saying that as an insult because they're some of my favorite songs ever, but not just those, you know, the, the flying high, the save the children, everything in here 
has a meaning to it and has a purpose and has a resonance. And they all work together in this way. So, yeah. I keep thinking that I'm doing just word salad, but <laughs> that's how it kind of works. This album encourages that, though. It encourages you to yeah, like, that's I mean, true. You, you dig deep and it's like you just have more things to say and more things to say because that's the way this album is. He, he put so much of his own word salad into it that it makes us cause <laughs> to spit out word salad. So, no, it's totally good. It's all good. Yes, but... I mean, it's a gift to all of us, this album is. I think music is a gift. And, you know, I I think we need music now more than ever. And we need art now more than ever. And we need more voices now more than ever with people. You know, the big thing with, a, you know, lots of strikes, as we've, as we've been talking about a lot. And I think this, this can speak to that as well, too. So, and I think this... You know, it all is just stems from everything. I want to know, Tiff, though, and you can name a few. You can name a couple. But do you have like an absolute go-to number one favorite song on here? I do. Inner City Blues is my absolute favorite go-to song. It is, um, it's one of those things that, you know, at first, at first listen, you feel like, okay, it's, this is jazzy. You know, this is this is kind of, it's got this beat, it's got this kind of fast hook to it. But you have to listen to the words, listen to the melody, listen to the sorrow that he's pouring into this song. You know, when he says, makes me want to holler, throw up both my hands. I mean, he's really, he's really seeing that like from within. Everything in his life at that point in time makes him want to holler and throw up both his hands. You know, we have to understand where Marvin was coming, what he was coming out of when he actually started recording this album, when he wrote it and he started recording it. Marvin was self-medicating, you know, with illicit drugs. He was using, he was a cocaine user. He was also an alcoholic. Um, he had had a suicide attempt. He had a divorce from his wife, who happened to be the sister of Barry Gordy. Her name was Anna. And if for those listeners who don't know, Barry Gordy was the head of Motown. And that was Marvin's label at the time. They were very close. But of course, obviously, there's going to be a lot of strife when it comes to divorcing your boss's sister. <laughs> there's a, <laughs> that is a little. That's a, I mean, you talk about a little... <laughs> Okay, at the family dinner table. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, you know, so there's that. There's also the fact that um, his duet partner, uh, Tammy Terrell, who he did a, he did two albums of duets with her. She was another Motown artist, beautiful, gorgeous singer, gorgeous woman, sweet as apple pie, as everybody said. But she um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, died exceptionally young. She was 24, I think. And that devastated him. They did not have a romantic relationship. It was purely platonic. They said it was, you know, it was almost like a very close sibling relationship, but it devastated him. It absolutely devastated him. So he's coming out of all of these things, coupled with his brother's, you know, letters from Vietnam, the environmental issues that he's seeing, the issues that he's finding at home in Detroit. I mean, we're talking about Detroit in the late 60s, early 70s. There is a lot 
of not only um, racial racial tension, there's a lot of economic disadvantage for um, for black people as well. So all of these things are coupling in to come into this one album that he pours his soul into. And they said, it's, <laughs> according to the Funk Brothers, who were, of course, the session musicians for Motown, they said it was it was a culmination of a lot of marijuana and and scotch. <laughs> so take that, <laughs> take that <laughs> as you will. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of the jazz greats, you know, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing a lot worse than that. So yeah. 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 I mean, so there's, a, I mean, we can go into the history. Obviously there's a huge history of, of musicians and artists doing, you know, a little bit, of, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, to, to, to bring out the, the artistry that they're looking for. But you know, and this is children, children. This is not, this is not Tiff saying, "Go out and do drugs, and no. you will have a great musical career." This is not Tiff saying no. that. Okay, we're not saying that. We're just stating facts. But this is what the what was. Okay, this is just, this is all just facts. Okay. But don't do drugs. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> but not like Nancy Reagan said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Inner City Blues is my favorite. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite. I actually had that, um, you know, because I had the album and the full, well, scratch that. My so my dad has the, the LP, of course, of what's going on, and then I I made myself a tape from the LP. I made myself a what's going on tape, and then <laughs> from that tape, I made a single <laughs> of, of Inner City Blues. <laughs> I I, yeah, I'm, I'm a goofball. I'm a goofball. I think I was probably like I think I was probably like maybe eight or nine when I did that. So. Um, Yes, Inner City Blues is my favorite. I actually learned how to, I got the sheet music and I learned how to play it on the piano too. So I used to play piano. Oh. Yeah, so I, I did that too because I liked the way it sounded on the piano. So yeah, I was a total dork. <laughs> I love that though. I was a bit of a dork, but yeah, that's that's my favorite. I love the I love the orchestration of Mercy Mercy Me, you know, the ecology. I love that. I love the, mm -hmm. the the swell of emotion of that song. I obviously love the title track, but there's something so gritty and so grounding about Inner City Blues to me. Uh and I, that's definitely why why that's my my numeral, you know. Yeah, that's great pick. And I wonder, would do you know if you'd still be able to play that on the piano? Uh, if I had the sheet music, which I don't know where it is right now, it's probably somewhere at my parents' house, then yeah, I could probably pick it out. Might take me a minute, but I could probably still pick it out a little bit. I love that. And you have that grand piano back there. So. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I don't know why I don't have my sheet music with me. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm slipping. <laughs> I was just thinking that the, when you were saying that, I'm like, look, there's the grand piano right there. Uh, <laughs> I love that though, and yeah, it, it's 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 you know the 
<laughs> the marijuana and scotch thing. I do have to say, and this is not at all like an insult at all, but the the marijuana part and the high, the getting high and the stoned feeling and the, which once again, we're not encouraging drug use, but you can hear that in some of the way the music is. And that's, that's, I'm not, that's not an insult or a bad thing at all. I'm just saying you can hear that. Like you can picture, and I'm sure, you know, we know people in our lives who did this. I can picture people putting this album on putting the record on and then getting high. I just, it's just like, I can just see that. I'm once again, not encouraging drug use, with but the, just... with the, the mood lamp. The, yes. The, oh yes. What background. were those called? The, the lava lamp. Yeah. Things? The lava lamp. Yes. <laughs> and their pet and their pet rocks. <laughs> pet rocks. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of 70s in my mind when I think about that. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> I am just picturing that now. Now I'm just picturing and you know even some incense in the background too as well. And yeah, yeah, I can I can totally totally see that. But but for me, you know, and I don't know what this says about me and we're speaking about drugs anyway and I'm not I I don't I don't use drugs. I never have been a big person for that. I mean, I drink occasionally, but flying high in the friendly sky is, is for me, one of my favorites on here. It's very hard to choose a favorite because, you know, I, it's just, it's just hard because they go so well together that it's kind of like choosing part of a chorus and then not choosing the rest of it or something like that. But this one to me, it's just like, it's kind of like you're listening to it and you could easily just have it on an, in, and I'm not saying shoes, but have it on in the background and you are like, oh, that's a nice little comforting, you know, melody that you could sip a scotch to. Honestly, <laughs> sit there. But then if you really listen to the lyrics, like, you know, the line, I know I'm hooked, my friend, to the boy who makes slaves out of men. And boy is what was used as a reference to heroin. So, you know, it's like, but then if you hear those lines and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't like, this isn't actually about flying. This isn't actually about being in a plane. Nobody's flying in this. (laughs) Nobody's getting on a plane. No, no. no. Different kind of. You're only flying in your mind. (laughs) Yes. Very different kind of flying. So it is one of those that that's what's so powerful about music and about this album, I think, is there's so much going on. There's so many different layers to it. So you could be sitting there just hearing the music. And then all of a sudden, when you really pay attention, you're like, whoa, there is so much here, so much to dissect. You could go, we could seriously do a whole whole episode just on each song and just dissecting lyric by lyric and note by note. That's how much is going on here. And I don't know why I have a thing about songs that are about addiction. I'm not saying, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm not saying it like, <laughs> it sounds so weird, but I don't know. I just, I, and I like, and that one is a little bit different than some of the songs that you'll hear about addiction. Cause a lot of times when you hear songs about addiction, sometimes they're very, very angry um, and too heavy almost and sometimes hard to access and hard to listen to and this one isn't and I think that's why it works so well 
And then Mercy, Mercy Me, I think, is one of the all-time greatest songs ever, ever, ever written as well. And yes, it's one that's played everywhere, but there is a reason for that. And it is one of those that just from the first chorus from, and we haven't even talked about this, Marvin Gaye's voice is so beautiful. Just an absolutely beautiful voice. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous voice. It's this is this is just a little side note because this is much much later in you know past what's going on he did he sang the national anthem at the 1984 nba all-star game which was at the forum uh and chick hearn who was the legendary lakers broadcaster and when i say legendary he is legendary all you have to say is chicky baby in la and everybody knows who you're talking about (laughs) Chick Hearn said when <laughs> Marvin was finished, and Marvin was high as a kite. He was high as a kite when he did the song. Like, look it up on YouTube. You can tell he's got his sunglasses on. You know he's high as a kite. <laughs> but Chick Hearn says, who is this very, Chick is this like straight laced white guy from like, you know, the Midwest and everything like that. Chick was like, that was the greatest version of that song I've ever heard. Because <laughs> it was the, it is, it is nothing that you would ever hear in terms of a national anthem. You know, I mean, everybody knows Whitney Houston's version, which is incredible, you know, mm-hmm. over the top and big. You have to pull up this version of it because it's stripped down. It's jazz. It's like, it's soulful jazz. And she heard, literally said, that is the greatest version of this song I have ever heard. <laughs> it is amazing when you hear him see it because when you hear him say it, because he's amazed at what Marvin is doing at that point. It is, it's fantastic. Um, that's like one of my favorite like little anecdotes about, and I saw this like after the fact, like a few years after that, but it's it's hilarious <laughs> like when you see it and when you hear it because his voice is his voice is so incredible and his the way he layered um i i watched a, a documentary of obviously which i won't say you know just in solidarity sag after about the making of mercy mercy me and how he layered his own vocals on top of it uh, on top of each other, which honestly had not been really done before. Um, and it was a mistake by the sound engineer. <laughs> they didn't mean to do it. He sang two separate, he sang two separate lines of the song and he was like, okay, which one do you think sounds better? And the sound engineers mushed them together and it's like, ah, voila, music <laughs> greatness, you know? And then that's him playing the um, that's him playing. Marvin Gaye was also a percussionist. For people that don't know, he played the piano. He was um, also played um, the bongo, the drums. Super, super talented dude. And he's credited with a lot of those backing sounds, not just vocals, but background music as well. So we're talking about somebody that was kind of like the precursor to like somebody like Prince who was doing that, you know, like a decade later. And this is, I mean, it's mind blowing when you think about it, that Marvin Gaye was doing this in 1970. And I don't think he gets the, he doesn't get the props 
that he deserves for that part of it. He's credited as a producer, but he, I mean, honestly, he should be credited like with so much more on this album because he did, like he ran the gamut. It's like, I'm singing, I'm doing background, I'm playing instruments, I'm writing, I'm composing. Like it, it was like the whole, the whole shebang. It's like, okay, I'm doing everything. I'm just the executive. <laughs> I'm the showrunner on this album. <laughs> I I think it can be said that he doesn't get enough credit, period, for a lot of things. I mean, yes, this album is well known and a lot of his songs are well known, but I do think I I, I do think it I I still don't think he gets enough credit. I think it's more I don't know what that is, but I think he just doesn't get enough credit. I'll have to I'll have to find that YouTube clip and I'll put it in the show notes so people can watch that and easily access that. So I'll have to do that and make sure people can look at that because I have not watched that. It's, so it's so good. It's it's so good. And I know you're gonna love it because it's just it's so <laughs> out of you know, it's not anything that you would ever associate the national anthem with. It, it's you'll you're like, okay, he's singing the national anthem. He, he's singing the national anthem. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not anything that you would have ever thought that the national anthem, how that would be sung when you hear that. It's just, <laughs> and I would yeah. like to point out, you know, when you said that he's not, um, he's not given the credit that he deserves. And I completely concur with you on that. Smokey Robinson, who is on his own, you know, obviously a, uber talented uber uber talented mm -hmm. producer writer composer you know basically like the architect of the motown sound if we're talking about it he was the the architect of that of the he built the foundation of it you know obviously barry gordy had the the mindset to you know make this label but Smokey robinson laid the foundation for the music side of things and he said that this is the greatest album of all time not only is it his favorite album of all time, but it's also the greatest album of all time. Now, if Smokey Robinson says that, then you know it's pretty darn good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And if you're sitting there like, oh man, but do I have time to listen to this? This it's not it's not even that long of an album. Honestly, you want more, and that's why you'll at least I do. You'll hit replay. You'll hit, I want to say rewind, but I know that's not necessarily, I don't know if that's even the term anymore, but you'll want to hit rewind or you want to flip the record over again. So, yes. And I do hear records are kind of making a comeback. Like, I know it's a new in thing to get like record players and stuff. And I love that. So, you know, if you can, if you ever get a chance to listen to this on a record, like an album, actually listening to the album, do that because that's a different impact, I think than just listening to it on Spotify or on a CD or something. I think there's a different impact to that where you have to actually have the record flipped over. And you also, there's just something about records where you hear that distinct sound as well. So, yeah. You drop the needle. It's like. Yes. Oh my gosh. Sound. I love that sound. And I love the sound of the album coming out of the sleeve. I yeah. like the way that sounds and I like the smell. <laughs> of it. <laughs> like I mean if I go it's into true. you know my dad has a, you know, my dad has his, his closet filled of you know this big closet filled with albums still and there's a certain smell to it when you open it up there is like this album smell 
And I think mm-hmm. if you go into a record store, like an actual record store, which, you know, few and far between, but you can still find them, it's that same smell. And I don't know if it's the, you know, if it's the vinyl or if it's the sleeves that they come in, but it's something, it's something tangible that you can actually smell. I love it. I just do. I, I, I don't care if it sounds weird, but I do. I love it. It doesn't sound weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I'm, I'm, I'm a music geek about that. I, I, I love music so much. And, and there is, there is a certain smell, I think. And I know, I loved that when when I was little, I had so many albums and I would just hang out in my room and, you know, play records. And I had a lot of musicals as well. So I play a lot of musicals. And um, but then I had, you know, stuff like I, I, I Pat Benatar was like everything to me. And then, of course, you know, Michael Jackson, it was like just playing all of those all the time. And then I also like then I also had a George Thorogood album, mainly just because of Bad to the Bone. <laughs> But just all those albums and then like playing them. And there is something about that, that sound of taking them out. The sound, even the sound of putting the record on the record player. I don't know. It's like an experience. And I, I'm not saying we, can't, we don't experience music now, but we don't experience in the same way. It's not like this whole thing. It's almost like it's almost like a ritual. It's like, I don't know. No, you see that? No, I I get what you're saying because it's like for me, it's like the difference between hearing an artist at a concert and they have a live band, that Mm -hmm. versus somebody that is just that has like you know the DJ. (laughs) It's not. It's you know it's night and day when you hear when you hear that sound. There's something about live music that hits you differently. I think than recorded music does maybe Mm -hmm. maybe our listeners have have that same feeling but it's something yeah it's different for me like because i've heard so i've heard an artist be on stage and they just have like just the backing tracks that are played and no no band and it just just wasn't the same it just yeah for me at least it wasn't the same maybe other people were enjoying it but I didn't really care. <laughs> no, I I know exactly what you're. Yeah, there is. There's something different and more. And there's something special about seeing the band there and seeing the songs performed. And even sometimes I've found there might be musicians that I'm not as into, but then I see them perform live, and it's like it just takes it to another level because you see this true artist there. So. You know, yes. So that's why that's another reason we'll put, I mean, I know it's not a concert, but we'll put that YouTube link as well. So, well, Tiff, this was so much fun and thank you so much for, I also want to say Tiff recommended we cover this album. So thank you for recommending we cover this album and thank you so much for being on. Um, This was a ton of fun. I'm glad I'm not glad people are on strike, but I'm glad we were able to put this on the schedule this year. This was not planned, and I'm glad we were able to put it on. And thank you for being on. I really thanks for appreciate it. Me. I always love being on. It's a fandom thing. God, <laughs> it's always so much fun. And like you said, you know, I think this, you know, strikes are never like really fun, but this has given us the opportunity to go over so many other things, you know, and it's like I think it's pushing our brains to really, really, really dig deep 
and think about other things that we like besides television and film. Because uh, sometimes <laughs> we might rely on that a little bit too much. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so this is great. This is great. I've been really enjoying all the content, you know, from books. And then, you know, obviously your interviews are always fantastic. And I, I can't wait to hear what, what else is coming. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. And I know um, we recently had a little meeting. We have podcast meetings with the panelists and stuff and also record them for people who aren't able to attend. And I did share what our top 20 episodes of the year so far are. And these are also episodes that recorded past years. And I know our music episodes, we have a lot of music episodes in our top 20. So I know people love hearing these as well. So hopefully with us doing a bunch more, our listeners will also enjoy that. So we're going to go ahead and close this one out though. And I'm going to have Tiff tell everybody where they can find her. Well, you can find me in the club. No, I'm just kidding. You can find (laughs) me (laughs) on Instagram and whatever the heck threads is at who is Tiff is me. Uh, I have not used it, but I see it and I acknowledge it. So I am at Who is Tip With Me on that. I'm also at on Discord at Who is Tip With Me. I am no longer really on the artist formerly known as Twitter, but should you happen to X at me, I, I mean, that sounds so stupid instead of tweet me, but you know, it does. Yeah, if you try to X at me, then sure, I'll answer, I guess. It's at who is Tiff is me. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so, so stupid. stupid. <laughs> so dumb. <sighs> oh, man, billionaires ruining us. Billionaires. I swear. <laughs> <The worst. laughs> This is Erin. Remember, you don't want to follow me. You want to follow Fergie for lots of fun. She's adorable. She's a clown. She's so funny. I love her so much. And she hates it when I sing to her, but that's okay. (laughs) But you can follow her on TikTok at Schroeder and Fergs. That's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-A-N-D-F-E-R-G-S. It is long, but it is worth it. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. We are on threads as well at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. I haven't used it much, but we are on there. Uh, we are on TikTok as well at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us via our website, it's a fandomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button there. And while you're there, please consider supporting the show by becoming a Patreon subscriber. We do have a seven-day free trial at the $3 a month level. There are other levels as well you can join. And we are going to have, speaking of music, we're going to have an upcoming Patreon bonus episode where Carla and Aaron A are going to join me. And we are going to put together our own summer playlist. And we are also going to make a playlist that's going to be private. It's only going to be for Patreon subscribers that will have all those songs we're recommending. So you can get your very own playlist from some of your favorite It's a Fandom Thing panelists. So head on over to the support us there. Support us um, page on our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com or click the Patreon link in the show notes. We have also lots of other great bonus content that I can't mention a lot of them right now, but they're in there. And then you also get ad-free versions of the show as well. So there you go. And also, 
best thing you can do if you are liking what you're hearing please consider please rate us uh five stars on apple podcasts and also on spotify and share 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 there is a huge sea of content out there twitter used to be a great way to get our content out there and i just if you don't know a lot of content creators are hurting right now because it's very hard to find our audience at this time because of stupid billionaires. So so if you like what you're hearing, please, 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 please share. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell everybody to give us a listen. And it means the world to us. And thank you so much for continuing to support our show. And next week, we are continuing our journey through music and through a band. We're going to be looking at a band that also has used their voice and their music to send very, 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 very clear political messages. And the fact that some people don't understand that this band is political when just their name alone is political, I will never understand. And this is very different kind of music, very different, but it still all goes together in my mind. So we're going to be talking about Rage Against the Machine. I mean, Rage Against the Machine, what do you think they're raging against? (laughs) They're mad at robots. (laughs) Madam Robot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that is going to be Carla and Sarah are going to be joining me for that one. So that should be a ton of fun. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about in the 90s, there were a bunch of some some female artists, you know, that made a name for themselves. And we're going to talk about Alanis Morissette. Um, as how we're going to wrap up our little thing and then books coming in September so until next time remember it's a fandom thing Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate